What if you threw a party but nobody came? That's what it feels like when it comes to major stakes races these days. Where are all the competitors? We'll examine. Plus, if you think you have quarantine fatigue, check out what happened at the main racetrack in Buenos Aires, Argentina. We'll have all that and more on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They race at and they're off. As they move to the top of the it's a hit-bombing finish. This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course, in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And please take a minute to rate and review the show. Those reviews really help others find us. And could you imagine if your reviews help just one member at America's Best Racing each day discover this show? Why, we could make In The Gate into a movement. But I'm not sure they'd understand positive change over there if it bit them in the butt. Authentic makes his move, and so does Honor AP on the outside. Honor AP coming with a big, powerful, sweeping move on the outside of Authentic. And Odor there in the final furlong, and Honor AP runs right by Authentic. And Odor at the rail, and Rushy, a 16th to go. Honor AP a length and a half. Authentic, Rushy running on late. It will be Honor AP, a very impressive winner of the run-happy Santa Anita Derby. When Honor AP won the Santa Anita Derby back on June 6th, it was just the second race since the resumption of racing that paid not just purse money, but qualifying points toward the Kentucky Derby. Lots of them. Yet just seven horses went to post. But amazingly, seven was the largest number of runners for any of the seven stakes races there that day. Swiss Skydiver won the Santa Anita Oaks against just three rivals, four total runners. And lest you think the Darth of Runners is exclusive to Santa Anita, look at the recently completed Belmont Stakes Day card in New York. Yes, ten runners competed in what was this year the first leg of the Triple Crown, but look at the other stakes that day. The Jiper and the Woody Stevens had eight runners, the Acorn, won in devastating fashion by Gamine, had seven, the Penine Ridge, six, and the Wonder Again, five. Intuitively, you might think, as I did, that once racing resumed, that these horses needed somewhere to run after a two-plus-month shutdown, that you couldn't get these runners into starting gates fast enough. But based on these two days, with races that had sizable purses, it certainly doesn't seem like the entry boxes are filling up so fast. Are these two days an anomaly? or a trend. Let's get some perspective on this issue by welcoming into In the Gate for the first time veteran racetrack official Dave Bailey, who is currently the racing secretary at Gulfstream Park in Florida. Mr. Bailey has worked in the business for over 40 years, and this is actually his second go-round at Gulfstream. He's also worked at Penn National, Arlington Park, and Hialeah. You know, back when Hialeah ran more than just quarter-horse, hundred-yard match races 20 days a year. Mr. Bailey, the number of starters per race has dropped precipitously from nine in 1985 to seven and a half last year. What do you make of this downward trend in starters per race? 
Well, I think, first of all, the three-year-old crops, when they turn four, a lot of them go to stud, the good ones, and they're not able to continue on into the handicap ranks, in particular uh, states, California, New York, even Churchill. Down here during the winter, we have the luxury of having horses from New York, Churchill. You know, they all flock here, and we're kind of an island, so during the winter, we're in... uh, pretty good shape for our stake races. But moving out after dispersing to Churchill, New York, California's an island, so it's tough for them to recruit horses from out of state. In New York, I think you're going to see the number of starters pick up once they get settled. Maybe some people take the winter off, give their horses a break. You know, it's tough to race 12 months a year, too. And then, uh, as I was saying, some of the better horses just don't continue on because they go to stud duty and fillies and mares are in uh, deep demand to cover those studs because some of those studs cover 100 horses, so it's a lot of mares you don't see moving on either. Well, you would think, though, that especially with the pandemic compressing the schedule by two or more months, it just seems to be so much more confounding when you're talking about stakes races where there's more money up for grabs, obviously, and winning these kinds of races can turn your horse into a stallion or broodmare prospect. So why would all of that with the fields for stakes races be so low? Well, some of those horses that compete on the stakes are the top horses, and a lot of people just don't feel that they'll be competitive in those races. Years ago, it didn't make any difference. You could run against uh, John Henry, and people, you know, they'd have decent horses running against him, and even not-so-decent horses running against them. The game's changed. People take more time in between starts. It used to be wheel a horse back two, three weeks. Now sometimes it's a month and a half to two months, and it's just tough to uh, set up a schedule if you're the racing secretary, planning out these stake races to space them apart far enough for uh, those competitors to compete time after time. Speaking of spacing, we talked about the pandemic. What role do you think the pandemic has played in this with owners potentially retiring their horses because they felt there'd be nowhere to run them? Well, sometime, you know, I'm sure that took some effect. You just can't lay a horse up for six, seven months and expect to pay all those bills as you have and no income coming in. So I'm sure that had some sort of effect on them. And you're going to, you know, some of these horses retired because of injuries and whatnot. I just noticed that Seeking the Soul was uh, hurt uh, with a tendon injury. He's one of the better older uh, handicap horses in the country. But, you, see, you know, Baffert still has a few around. He's got Mucho Gusto and my probable McKenzie, Maximum Security, and Tom's Day Tots in Kentucky. And some of these three-year-olds are moving on to be four-year-olds and you know, it's it's good to see them move on. I mean, you don't see the five- and six-year-olds competing anymore, whether because of infirmities or because of the breeding program. I mean, there's a lot of money in, in sales. So the more they can breed, <laughs> the more money the breeders are going to make, too. So, Dave Bailey, the racing secretary at Gulfstream Park, joining us here on In the Gate. This marked contrast to the trend is what we saw across the pond at Royal Ascot recently where of the 36 races, a quarter of them, nine, had 10 or fewer runners, to be sure, but seven races had 20 or more, including the Royal Hunt Cup with 24, and that race is run around a turn. 
not just on the straight course. The Britannia over right. the straight mile had 25 starters, and most of those fields right. were between 11 and 18 runners per race. Why such a difference from there to here? There you have Ascot. I mean, it's the place to race over in Europe. I mean, everybody gears up for, Ant, uh, for Ascot, Chantilly, a big race meets. They all gear up for those. Now, uh, we're limited in starters because of our gates, and uh, we have a circular track instead of a straight course. So a lot of those, you know, they have a lot of uh, people that want to participate, and they aren't afraid to run fillies against Colts over there either. And the Nunthorpe Stakes, which happens next month, is actually carded for two and up. I don't think there's another race in the world I've ever seen that's carded for two and up. No, I haven't either. I remember a few years back, I did write a three and up race early in February for Nick Zito, who wanted to uh, not compete in the three-year-old stake race early in our meet, and he just wanted it three and up two other than. So we ended up making the race, but it was a six-horse field. Sometimes you just have to accommodate some people in order to get these horses started. It seems like Gulfstream in some ways has bucked this trend. I mean, field sizes seem to be okay, at least at first glance. And even though you run at one place for close to 10 months a year, it seems like field sizes and handle are doing okay. What's happening there that the rest of the industry, at least in this country, needs to learn? Well, we have the opportunity to run, at the moment, five to six turf races per day, which help out. Turf races always bring in a, few, uh, a larger number of horses per race. Why is that? I don't know. <laughs> Owners and trainers feel like their horses are better, safer maybe on the on the turf and the dirt, which I just don't see that reasoning. But it's tough to make some dirt races down here too also. I mean, well, although we did make a filly and mare, Overnight stake going a mile on the dirt with eight horses. Now, during the, this time of year, that's very surprising and very rewarding. Why is that? Why is it surprising? Because fillies and mares, normally the older fillies and mares, they're already retired. So we're able to put a race together with the eight filly and mares. And it's a competitive race, too, I mean, for this time of year. Because and most of our large trainers have they've shipped out. You know, like I say, they've gone to Churchill. They've waiting for Keeneland, they've gone to uh, Belmont, and waiting for Saratoga. I know with the Keeneland meet being canceled this year and I'm being shortened, a lot of these trainers and owners' plans were put on hold, and they had to regroup and figure out a new game plan for some of their better horses. So I think you're going to, as the summer goes on, I think you're going to see the number of starters in certain races pick up. I'm thinking the Turf races are always going to fill, and if they can try to manipulate the schedules for the older horses, you know, through the Whitney, through the Breeders' Cup, then I think you're going to see those uh, number of starters pick up also. Well, given the idea that the sport in general is in retrenchment, the full crop is down, the number of total races in this country has dropped by 30% in the last 30 years— what realistically has to happen in order for field sizes to level off since five horses in a graded stakes is not exactly an enticing betting opportunity? No, for the better, it's not It's not a good uh, good betting race. 
there's a lot of cheaper horses around now just because of the breeding, I think. The breeding, they're fragile. They're much more fragile than they were years ago. You have a lot of inbreeding, which does affect the stability and the stamina of the uh, thoroughbred these days. And there's, like I say, trainers and owners like to take a little bit more time in between races. The Woody Stevens of the world's not around anymore. We'll run a horse back in five, six, seven days or something like that. So people just want to take more time and breeze them 18 times in between races. Good perspective here from Dave Bailey, the racing secretary at Gulfstream Park. Thank you so much for a few minutes, sir. No problem, sir. Always a pleasure. If you think you have quarantine fatigue, come on back with us after the break, and we'll tell you about how grooms and hot walkers at a major racetrack in Argentina refused to keep working under quarantine conditions. Don't go away. Welcome back to Win the Gate. There is a long history of top-quality horses who have raced here in the United States after beginning their careers in their native Argentina. Remember these? Paseana's game won't let Colachard get by her. And Paseana digging down deep, finding more. Colachard came right up to her but couldn't go with her. And Paseana and Chris McCarran going on to a great one win in the Santa Maria. Candy Ride takes the lead. Medallio Daro's running his heart out. But we could be looking at a new superstar out here. Candy Ride, the Argentinian bred, and Julie Crone win the Pacific Classic. Candy Ride broke his maiden at first asking at the Hippodromo Argentino de Palermo in Buenos Aires. That was in 2002. Paseana raced twice at the Hippodromo in 1990, winning a Group 2 race. The Hippodromo Argentino de Palermo is an ornate, majestic-looking racetrack and casino that have been around in some form since 1876, the year after the first Kentucky Derby. The racing season goes from March until November, with the big race, the Argentine Derby, held at the end of the meet. Argentina, like the rest of the world, has been dealing with a shutdown due to COVID-19. That includes the Hippodromo. Like racetracks that have started here in the States, the Hippodromo has had some personnel who have not been allowed to leave the entire time, basically the last 90 days. Here in the States, for example, 750 workers had been living at Santa Anita in isolation, in dormitories. When racing resumed in mid-May, track management brought in luxury trailers for the jockeys to live in from Friday to Sunday during the racing week. They went home on Sunday night. Trainers had to undergo daily health checks, but they could go home and come back. There was certainly anxiety, but racing went on. In Argentina, though, a similar anxiety resulted in protests at the Hippodromo Argentina de Palermo. According to the La Nación website, racing stopped at the track on March 13th, around the time the rest of the world shut down. It seemed at that time, track officials determined that certain people could not leave while others were allowed to. To get a better idea of what went on and the general feeling at the Hippodromo, we've reached out to Juan Saldivia, who was a foreman for one of the country's top trainers, Roberto Pelagata. Mr. Saldivia speaks only Spanish, so to help us out with translation, we've enlisted the help of one of my ESPN colleagues, Albert Solans Rubio. So welcome, Mr. Saldivia. Let's start with this. 
Tell us what the quarantine has been like for the people based at the Hippodromo. The thing is, the quarantine was like kind of hard to manage because the workers, they were allowed to leave, you know, the, the truck, the, the leave the hippodromo, but they're not allowed to come back. So that's the issue here. So who exactly was allowed to leave and who wasn't? As I say, they were allowed to leave the hippodromo, but they are not allowed to come back. That's the problem. But each team has one designated person that can leave and go back. Only one per team. So if you are not this designated person, you can leave, but you can go inside again. Was he that designated person for his team? No, no. He was allowed to go inside and out for the podromo without any problem. The people like in the top positions, they can do that. It's the workers, the, the, the people that work on the track, they are they have the restrictions during uh, 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. Now, here in the United States, the grooms and the people who walk the horses, the hot walkers, usually live at the track all the time anyway. Does anyone at the Hippodromo live at the track, or does everyone usually go home and come back? No, they are people that usually live there in the track, in the Hippodromo. But the problem is now that they don't have infrastructure to allow all these people, because normally they have one, two people per room, but now they are like 300 workers living there, so they don't have another space, and this room for one or two people, now there are like 10 people living there in the same room, so they don't have infrastructure to allow all these people in the Hippodromo. Why are there more people living there now than there were before? During the year, there are around 100 people living in the hippodromo, but now with the restrictions, they have like between 300 and 400 people living there. So it was like hard because, as I say, there are like 10 people living in the same room, people sleeping in the floor, the bathrooms that are like saturated, full of people. So due the the protest, now they they are more flexible, allowing people go out and go into the hippodromo to try to solve this problem. Mr. Saldivia, you said that there are people who are allowed to leave and there are people who normally would not otherwise leave anyway who are the people who would normally leave but now are not allowed to leave as an example he has for example 120 horses there so usually he has like 40 people working for him from these 40 people there are like a group of people older than 60 years old so it's dangerous for them to still working on the hippodromo so the thing that he did is just keep the salary from these people and allow these people to stay at home but on the other hand he hires some young people to work in the hippodromo. The problem with these young people is 
As I say, he can go inside the hippodromo, but the restrictions are so strict, so he can leave out the hippodromo. And that's the reason that the people that live in the hippodromo increase like four times as usual. And yeah, it's the, just the workers, the people, the, the people that uh, walk the horses, the people that groom the horses, just the regular worker is who's living there right now. We're talking with Juan Saldivi, a foreman to trainer Roberto Pelagata here on In the Gate. So what specifically happened that led to the protests? What happened is last Tuesday, some workers from the Podromo asked to the authorities in the town just a permission to leave during the Sunday because it was Father's Day, and the authorities just denied this petition. The workers just sent a letter with all the the petitions, and one of them was like to be allowed to go out for the Father's Day, and they gone in style, you know, like we, we want to take care of our measures, wearing, you know, the mask and hand sanitizer at the entrance, just measure the temperature at the inside some regular test and the authorities just deny this request and they decide to lock down the entire hippodromo and that was the thing that started the riots and the protest after the riots and the protest the authorities just decide to remove all the quarantine and now people are free to go out and in everybody's allowed to go so, yes, Barry, times, uh, Thursday at 6 p.m., they remove all the security, uh, all the quarantine, and the workers are allowed to go out and into the hippodromo, really. What did the scene of that protest look like? What did it look like? No, no, tranquila. The protest was really peaceful. The only thing is the workers were a little bit upset because the government has not a, a correct answer to his letter. Like, they have the feeling that the government don't have this feeling that they care so much. So that was the reason that they started the protest, but the protest was really peaceful. And when the cameras arrived to the hippodromo and the government watched the images, then that, it's what made uh, the government just change his mind and change his mind and just remove the lockdown from the hippodromo. But it was a really peaceful protest. What were the images? What were people doing? They locked down the entire hippodromo and the kind of protest was like they just refused to still working and they just, it, it was, as I say, a peaceful, a peaceful protest. The only thing that they asked is for some media to express his voice and his opinion. So, Mr. Saldivia was one of the guys in charge of the negotiation with the, with the government and with authorities from the Podromo. So, it wasn't a peaceful protest. The only thing that they want is a voice to express how they feel. That's it. What were those negotiations like with the management of the track? During the negotiations, the only thing that the workers ask for is just for an answer, because they don't feel they feel that the, the government 
you just don't want to hear them. That was the problem. That was the real issue. So the only thing that they want is an answer from the government as soon as possible, because last Sunday was the Father's Day, and that was the petition for the workers. They just permission to go out and spend this day from the family and some security measures inside the hippodromos, because now they don't have anything of that. They don't have like hand sanitizer or temperature measure, all these kind of things. So they have these two things. And that was it when the government just approved these two things. That was it. Do you think, Mr. Saldivia, that this situation has permanently damaged the relationships between track management and the people like you who take care of the horses? No, 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 I think no. They understand perfectly why the management of the hippodromo take this decision. So, no, the relationship is still being good. They are in a good spot because they understand why the management from the hippodromo take these measures because they never think that all this situation was going to be too long, you know? So, no, no, that, 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 there is no, no bad feelings against uh, between, between the two parts. They are in a good relation right now. Juan Saldivia works at the Hippodromo Argentina de Palermo. Thank you so much for your time, sir. Gracias para su tiempo. Bueno, muchísimas gracias. Thank you so much to ESPN to to give me the opportunity to speak in the radio, and we hope that this situation just gets back to normal as soon as possible. <laughs> Thank you so much. As of this recording. The number of coronavirus cases in Argentina has nearly doubled, just in the month of June alone, to nearly 38,000. Nearly 2,000 new cases were recorded in one single day, Friday, June 20th. Around 1,000 cases total have resulted in deaths. Our thanks once again to Juan Saldivia and to Dave Bailey. Since 1932, the Preakness has had middle child syndrome in the three-race series called the Triple Crown. The Kentucky Derby's always been the destination race, and the Belmont's where a horse gains immortal renown. But only if that horse can claim the Preakness in the middle. So you thought this year they might just benefit from being the final leg of the series to be run October 3rd. On the hilltop, a new Triple Crown might sit. But here comes Monmouth Park waving a million-dollar bonus for a horse that can win the Haskell, their signature race, then add the Kentucky Derby and the Breeders' Cup Classic. In that three-race sequence, the Preakness has no space. The Classic's $7 million, the Kentucky Derby, three. And this bonus far outweighs the Preakness first prize, so the stereotype of the resentful child still applies to the Preakness as Maryland's dream of favored status dies. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, the Pink Apple Podcatcher app, and of course in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app, and please take a minute to rate and review the show. It might just spur those geniuses at America's Best Racing to include us when it comes time to vote for Best Podcast in this November's Fan Choice Awards. You know what the Best Podcast is. Let's make sure they know it, too. And you you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's in the gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We hope this finds you safe and healthy as you hear this, and we'll see you next time.